Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And then this one, uh, you hear it in my voice. It's a frustrating end to the Astros season. We're going to talk about that. We'll also get into the good and bad of Casario's trade deadline day for the Texans and the Rockets might finally be playing the players they need to be playing in a rebuild. Before we fire this one up, though, a reminder, we're brought to you by BetUS, America's favorite sports book. Not only is BetUS the place to bet on all your favorite sports, but later we'll give you an exclusive discount for BetUS.com where you can do live betting. You can go on their online casino or bet on any sport you want to, not just football, baseball, basketball, whatever. But before we get there, let me bring in my co-host, and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie who is very sad at the moment, our veteran journalist, Stephen Curran. Stephen, averaging 3.1 innings from your starting pitching in six World Series games catches up to you eventually. Oh, it absolutely does, Robert. I mean, there's just no way. And we knew coming into the series, well, I mean, we knew coming into the postseason that the starting pitching was going to be something that was a question mark. And then, of course, it got worse. When Lance McCullers got hurt, the bullpen certainly, for the most part, came through in the postseason. But, yeah, when your starters are only going such a short stint in almost every game, you know, it's it's not a good thing. But I will say this, too, Robert. I, I think Game 6 really summed everything up about this whole World Series. You know, if you don't score any runs, I, I don't care if your pitchers only give up one run. If you don't score any, you still lose one to nothing. It's still a loss. So, I'm just as disappointed, maybe even more so disappointed in the offense than I am the pitching because I expected the pitching to be shaky and that the offense could bail them out. And in this World Series, they just couldn't do it. I'm going to get to the offense in just a bit because that all or nothing stuff that you're talking about, we saw it all season. And that's kind of who this Astros team was. And, and it came up and bit them in this final series. But if you go through the pitching, just to give people an idea of how rough it was for the starters, Fromber two innings, Urquidy five, Garcia three and two thirds, Granky four, Fromber two and two thirds, Garcia two and two thirds, 20 innings total in six games. The Astros bullpen, they just ran out of gas. Four runs tonight, but coming into game six, here's what they did in the series 1.75 ERA and 25 and two thirds innings, 16 hits eight walks, and 33 strikeouts. They were the only segment of this team that showed up for the World Series. The starting pitching didn't, the hitting did it, and offensively, Stephen, the Astros got nothing in the World Series from Alex Bregman. Nothing besides walks from Jordan. No slugging from Correa or Griel. Not much on base from Altuve, your leadoff hitter. Granke had the same amount of hits. Zach Granke as Alex Bregman, <laughs> and, and he had one more than Jordan. And this is a trite phrase, but it sums it up every year in baseball. Good pitching beats good hitting over and over. And we knew the Braves probably had the better pitching coming in, even losing Morton early on. The starters that the Braves had were just better. Fromberg was not good coming into the playoffs. Uh, he's had a good outing or two, but that was it. Garcia had been struggling going towards the end of the season. You didn't have McCullers. Granky was only going to be able to give you a couple of innings. I mean, Urquidy, you know, hadn't had it rolling since early in the season, since the injury. So this is what to expect. I mean, we knew this and, and the writing was on the wall, I thought. 
we knew this, but I think we we hoped that it would just be put off as long as possible and, and maybe even permanently that the Astros could still come through. Because, you know, a lot of it, too, Robert, it's timing. It's all about timing when you get hot at the right time. And we say that a lot, too. But look, you know, at the trade deadline, the Braves weren't even in the race. You know, nobody was thinking about the Braves even coming back and making the playoffs, much less winning the World Series. They made some crucial trades, some crucial acquisitions that obviously made the difference. You know, with the Astros fans, were certainly hoping that James Click could do that with the bullpen. And he tried. But ultimately, it was the Braves that made the kind of deals that set them up. And they're pitching. You know, we mentioned it the other night. You had three rookies who started a World Series, and yet the Braves still won in six games. You know, that that's just not something that happens every day. And the Braves just got hot at the right time. You know, they, they beat the Dodgers, a 100-win team. They beat the Astros, a 95-win team. It, it just, it all adds up. And then just, you know, it's the unpredictability of baseball. But obviously, if you're an Astros fan, it's, it's just not something you want to hear. One thing on Alex Bregman. Did you hear what Ken Rosenthal said about him during this game? I was kind of going back and forth between the TV and the radio broadcast. And no, I, I missed what he said, though. He said that Bregman told him when he's been hitting this year, he's dealt with a weak top hand. I don't know what that's about. But sounds like some sort of injury, which explains the issues he's had. And that's key at the plate, but that's also uh, his right hand, his throwing hand. So while we were concentrating on his legs, it might have been his hand the whole way. And I can't believe nobody stumbled on this story until November. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, that's something that, you know, we all knew about the leg injury, but why wouldn't we know about the hand injury? It's It's kind of odd. So... You just hope that, you know, it's like Gurriel last year and, and Altuve, that Bregman just needs an offseason to heal physically and, and maybe get it together emotionally and come back with a much stronger spring training. That's what you hope for, Robert, because, I mean, at this point, he, he just looked he looked lost out there. Now, he made a brilliant play in the field, but other than that, you know, he, he had just really was non-existent, as you said. So it's very troubling when you have him – you had Correa that didn't really hit a whole lot. Alvarez didn't hit. You know, here's here's something, Robert, that I think was also the difference in the series is the home run factor. The Braves had 11 home runs. The Astros had two. And Jose Altuve had both of those runs. And not only that, listen to this. Jorge Soler had more home runs by himself than the whole Astros team. Jorge Soler had three home runs to the Astros, too. Well, it's no wonder that the Astros lost in six games. Yeah, and you've got to also think that this Bregman thing is a big deal if it's his hand, because that's a, something that hopefully he can get over at some point. And, and it's important because, you know, if, if you don't have Correa and, and, and you've got one less big bat in the lineup, you need the Alex Bregman that was the runner-up the runner-up, if I remember correctly, a couple of years ago for MVP. Next year, he's making $12 million. But all of a sudden, it gets really punitive if he's not the Alex Bregman that we remember because he makes $30 million the year after that and $30 million in 2024. And you're paying $30 million for a guy that's really a average third baseman at best. And the way he played the last couple of months, he wasn't even average. You know, when you say weak top hand, it just makes me wonder, what, what does that mean? It doesn't sound like... You know, it's not like a muscle pull or something. It, it, weakness in your hand, is is that kind of what, what you drew from it? Because 
if that's the case, that, that's a bit concerning. I kind of have to wonder, what does that mean? Is, is that something that's going to be long-term for him? You certainly hope not. Well, he was talking about, Rosenthal was saying that Bregman said he had to keep his right hand on the bat more than he was. And to me, that sounds like there's some issue with, you know, what what's going on. So I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to find out more about this. Yeah, we definitely want to keep our eye on this or, or at least, you know, if, if anything comes out over the next few months or at the very least, see what happens when he comes back for spring training and they start next season. And here's a couple of numbers that just really suck if you're an Astro fan. There's no other way to put it. In their, in their four World Series appearances, the Astros' record at home is 3-9. and nine. Home field advantage, not at all for the Astros in four World Series appearances. Even more depressing than that, Stephen, this is the third time in the last 16 years another organization has celebrated a World Series at Minute Maid Park. Yeah, that's definitely not something you want. You, you don't want the other team to win in your ballpark and celebrate in your ballpark. And I'll tell you what, Robert, it was pretty disconcerting to listen to the Braves fans, who obviously a bunch of them made the trip. Either that or they're just really, really loud fans doing the tomahawk chop during game six and the Astros fans trying to boo them out. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, unfortunately, it was a pretty tight race as to who had the loudest fans. And yeah, that that's pretty sad. That that's pretty disturbing. But it just goes to show, you know that that's what's happening when you're on the losing end. You have to deal with that humiliation as much as what the score is. We have to start looking at the legacy of the Astros, even though this run could potentially continue. I mean, I get it. You know, they still got a ton of talent. Even if Correa leaves, there's guys at, at, at just about every position that are uh, young enough to be good. And you know, Altuve should be fine again next year. But, Stephen, what do you think about what I said on Twitter? I said Astros fans may remember this team as clutch, but losing two World Series as the favorite with that scarlet C in the other series will be how they're viewed by everybody else. And as a lifelong Astros fan like myself, who's been so, so into this team, but not just into this team, they've just had so many good guys over 50 years, so many good guys. It's hard to believe this is where we are with this team. This is the Astros' legacy nationally is they're the bad guys. Yeah, it is unfortunate, Robert. And I think any fan, if, if they were honest with themselves, they don't want their team to be the hated team of, of Major League Baseball or, or any sport for that matter. I mean, I'd, unfortunately, I'd, I'd have to agree with you. I think, you know, when you look at all the guys who played in over the past decades and, and how great they were, you know, in the regular season perhaps, but when it came to the postseason where things didn't happen, it, it's sad. But, you know, at the same time, Robert, yeah, tainted or not, the fact that the Astros have been getting to the World Series more often in the last, well, four years, I guess, five years, than they did in the first 50, I mean, that's saying something. You know, there are a lot of teams that would love to be in the Astros position to just get there three out of the last five years. So, I, I mean, you can look at it that way, sure, and say, yeah, they came up short. They've, they've lost too many times now in the World Series. But, you know, you got to get there in order to lose. And I just think that if the Astros can just keep getting there or getting close, that they're going to win some more. You, you just have to feel that way. But right now it just doesn't feel like it because you're looking at the fact that, yeah, they've lost the last two World Series here at home. And, of course, they lost the 2005 World Series at home. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's demoralizing to think about that. But it's, you know, you, you have to face the truth, I guess, at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you because you say just keep getting to the World Series like it's easy. Oh, it's not easy. Believe me, it's not. The Astros waited 43 years. I waited 34 years for them to finally get to a World Series. Right. You know, it's just it's it, it, and and we we see every year how hard it is just to get through these rounds of the playoffs. And now it's not just getting through one round like it was for you and I growing up. You got to get through two rounds. And, you know, if you get in as a wild card, it's, you know, another game. But I guess the, the other question to ask is, well, would you rather they keep getting there and, and maybe they'll come up with something or go, you know, and, and get disappointed or go back to being the 100 loss Astros every year? You know, I, I think every year is a different year. You know, next year, the Astros, and a lot of it is how you get there. Look at the Braves. They only won 88 games, and yet they won the World Series. You know, the Astros could come out firing and win 110 games and then lose in the first round of the playoffs. So every year is a totally different year. And yeah, it's tempting to bundle them all up and look at history. But I think it, as a fan, Robert, it's the only way you can do it is just do it year by year because next year may be totally different. They may not even make the playoffs next year. Who knows? You know, I see on Twitter some guys say, well, you know, the Astros, they got to invest in starting pitching next year. They got to invest in starting pitching. And, you know, this really ticks me off because not just that the Astros – lost these last two World Series, but they were set up perfectly. They had starting pitching. They had Verlander, Cole, and Lance McCullers in 2019. And some manager, I don't remember what his name is anymore, but he didn't pitch Cole when he could have pitched Cole in Game 7, and you could have won that World Series. And then this year, you know, what are you going to say? They had two Hall of Famers that basically couldn't give them much of anything. Zach Granke... Gave them a few innings throughout the playoffs, but that was it. It wasn't major starter innings. And this is a Hall of Famer that they traded for. And 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 by the way, did an incredible job in his two World Series. They got great work out of him in two World Series. He was practically unhittable in both series. The times that he did get to pitch. Well, at least the, the second time in the 2019 World Series for sure. But also, you know, he gives you two hits in this World Series. And he's two for three at the plate. And then Justin Verlander, though, you, you, like I said, you don't have him at all. And that's 30-something million that you invested in Justin Verlander in a Hall of Fame pitcher that you just didn't have for the playoffs. And then Lance McCullers goes down. So, you know, the Astros did it right. They had everything right. And they got the bullpen right this year more than they've ever had it right. And it still went off the tracks. And it's just, it's devastating. Yeah, it is devastating. But, you know, the fact is that they got as far as they did with all of that against them. I mean, you, you know, you have you knew you weren't going to have Verlander for the whole season. So, I mean, you could prepare for that. But how could you prepare for Lance McCullers getting hurt in the postseason? I mean, yeah, you could probably predict it just because of the fact that he's never had a full healthy season in his career. He, he went through a regular season healthy. But when he got to the postseason, when it really counted, he couldn't come through. So. The fact that they even got that far is amazing, but at the same time, it is devastating because, you know, now you look at it, Verlander's, I, I, I think we're pretty safe to say he's not going to come back. Grinky's probably not coming back. You know, in McCullers, you don't know what his health's going to be. So there are so many question marks with the starting pitching. And yeah, they have invested, but it, it doesn't seem to matter how much pitching you have. So many things just seem to go wrong, Robert. And not just with the Astros, but you look out through all of baseball, how many pitchers are having arm trouble? It's it's maddening. It's also disturbing. 
Well, let's also keep in mind this fact. Luis Garcia, he, he was out of gas. He's never pitched a full major league season and it's November now it's November and then you've got Fromber who hasn't pitched a full major league season last year was not a full major league season he pitched basically a half a season so you know you have two guys that you're counting on that have been pitching a ton of innings this year and you know they were not prepared to go this far as far as their arm and, and you know, they just hadn't worked up to that. And Jose Arquiti, you had a, somebody that just never got in rhythm after being out for a couple of months this year. And maybe he was strong enough. You know, he was definitely strong enough, I think, by the end. But, you know, Arquiti just, he, he hadn't gotten that rhythm where you would just go, okay, let's let's throw him out there for six or seven innings because we trust him to go six or seven innings. And, and that's where... You know, the, the big frustration is, is that's what you were left with when all was said and done. That's it. Yeah. And let's not forget, you know, you had a 60 game season last year where, yeah, you may not have had as many games, but the routine was definitely not there. Your pitchers were all off rhythm. And then you have a full 162 game season and the postseason and spring training. Yeah, I just I'm hoping that some semblance of normalcy can come back next year and kind of right the ship a little bit because. I tell you what, it just every day it's it's just maddening to look and and see. Okay, this guy just went down. This guy just went down, and you're going deeper and deeper to try to find an arm that can not only be healthy, but can just keep it going for you. And the Astros, yeah, as you said, it just they ran out of gas. You know, they they got there, they got to within two games basically, but. It, it's still heartbreaking at the end when you look back and say what could have been. Yeah, and and people will talk about the offense, but. You know, this is a Braves team that just got really hot from pitching wise. Those guys were making great pitches. Let's not let's not say, okay, this is all on the Astros. These guys made some fantastic pitches. They were doing a hell of a job. They, you know, they were shutting down other pretty darn good teams on their way to to the Astros. The Dodgers had a pretty good team. There were some injuries there, but you know, to to beat that team was pretty impressive. And 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 then I think Steven, that's that's the part that I think we just underestimate is like, hey, they've made some great pitches. Well, I mean, I think that they they definitely started to scare me when they beat the Dodgers. I mean, I I was thinking, you know, we kept saying, oh, we want the Braves. We don't want the Dodgers. Well, you know, the fact that the Braves were coming on at the time they were, that makes them that team of destiny, that that dangerous team that you really don't want to face. (laughs) So, yeah, you got to hand it to the Braves. They, They played better. In all aspects of the game, you know, they had some shaky defense there, but so did the Astros. Their pitching is what came through for them, especially with the young guys, the guys that you would never have thought, you know, and then Charlie Morton goes down. I mean, they had their share too. Think about game one. You know, they were only thinking that we're going to have one bullpen game in this World Series until game one when Charlie Morton went down. Then they had to have another bullpen game. So to think, you know, that they had the card stacked against them too, but the difference is that they were able to pull it together and come out on top, even with those young guys. And Brian Snitker, you got to hand it to him. He managed the game very well. I don't I don't think Dusty Baker did a poor job. I don't think he can hang this on Dusty, really. But Brian Snitker, you got to hand it to him. He managed a great series, and he got the pitchers in the right positions, and, and that made the difference. Yeah, you just said Dusty Baker. That's one thing I kept thinking about the whole game is – you just got to feel for that guy. I, I, you figured this was the time for him. They're playing the Braves, Hank Aaron, the whole thing, and it's just it's so sad for him. Yeah, you, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I've rooted for Dusty Baker. I, I really did. If there's one guy that deserves it, 
it certainly is Dusty Baker, and he just keeps coming up short. You know, how many more years is he going to get a chance to do that? Not many. So it, it is, I, I am especially sad for him, as well as obviously other guys on the Astros who may not be back. One last uh, little bit that I've got, and uh, we'll get to the Rockets in a bit, but I'm going to connect a little basketball to baseball because I was listening to Zach Lowe's podcast with Jeff Van Gundy as a guest yesterday, and in the last couple of minutes, something set him off, and he said, uh, and I'm going to quote Jeff Van Gundy, and this this was great. He said, I'm still wearing my T-shirt that says, Y'all still mad for those whiny Dodgers fans complaining about the championship that was stolen from them. No, it wasn't. We beat your ass. (laughs) (laughs) Way to go, JVG. (laughs) I love JVG. I just, yeah, he definitely says what he thinks. And I, you know, this, this whole sour grapes thing, Robert, I I mean, you just, you got to get over yourself about this. This was, well, four years ago when the Astros won the world series it's only been a couple since the whole cheating scandal came about. But even that, you know, I, I just I keep hearing these people who, you know, it's it's one thing to have sour grapes. But, you know, I even hear other celebrities talking about how they would just love to, you know, the, get one of these guys on the Astros and just beat them, physically beat them over this. I mean, seriously, don't you have anything better to do than to to be take uh, take that kind of a shot? I, I mean, is it really affect your life that much? You and I are Astros fans, Robert, and we hated it when this whole cheating thing came out. But we're still alive. We're we're still, you know, being productive. We're still doing this podcast. You know, we're moving ahead. So I just I, I get so sick of this whole thing. But unfortunately, the Astros dug this hole, and they're going to have to crawl out of it. It's going to take, you know, decades centuries maybe to crawl out of it at this point i didn't want to be talking about the texans uh, as much uh in this podcast but uh we're going to get into what happened with them a little bit later but let's just start off by saying that the that our friends at bet us have the texans as a six and a half point dog at miami sunday tyrod should be ready to go i know everybody's looking forward to texans and tyrod taylor after the, the astros thing but uh, he was trying to convince his coaches that he was ready to go against the Rams. So can the Texans keep it closer than a touchdown against Tua, Stephen? The Texans are 4-4 four and four against the spread this year. Hey, they're 4-4 four and four against the spread. They're, they only got one win, though. <laughs> Wait, did you say that they're 500? Yeah. <laughs> that's, hey, that's that's a revelation. You know, Robert, I don't know that I want to touch this game. I mean, two 1-7 teams... I just, man, I don't know. Yeah, if Tyrod Taylor's in there, it seems like that six points might be too much. But, man, this is a game I just don't know that I even want to go near it because you got two one and seven teams that aren't doing much of anything. And you still don't know, at least at the time that we're recording this, obviously on what day is this, Tuesday? I mean, my days are running together. I, yeah, I don't know that I even want to touch this thing. Yeah, I think Tyrod's playing. I think it's pretty sure he's playing. He wanted, to, Like I said, he wanted to play last week. I would say bet against the Texans because to me, a touchdown is too close for any game this them this year. And like Miami might be bad. The Texans don't belong in the NFL right now. So let's keep that in mind. And the over under 46 points, that's six touchdowns plus four more points between the Texans and the Dolphins. Do we really think? Yeah, I don't see that. No, I'm going under on that. That I will do. Yeah. Let's take the under on that. And if you're going to do it, if you're going to bet on the NFL, do it with BetUS.com because you're going to want a sports book with integrity and longevity. 
Uh, it's not just football. They take action on any sport. They've been doing it for three decades, pioneer in the sportsbook industry. We talk about it every show, but you got to go with BetUS. They've got a great uh, fan base over the years, and, and they have an easy-to-use mobile platform. Or you can just log on to BetUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. And we can save you money when you sign up. Just use our promo code HST125 and redeem that 125% sign-up bonus on your initial $100 deposit, HST125, the promo code. And to help our podcast, sign up using either the BetUS link on our pinned post at the top of our Twitter page or go to HoustonSportsTalk.net, our website, and click on the BetUS icon. Get your online and social sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS, you bet, you win, you get paid. Hey, Robert, I was just curious if you had seen anything that if BetUS has an over-under or had an over-under of when Deshaun would be traded or or if Deshaun would be traded. Because if you bet that he wouldn't by the trade deadline, hey, you won some money. Yeah, I couldn't find any props on Deshaun. I, I, I didn't see that. <laughs> but it's interesting because they decide not to trade Deshaun at the deadline, which let me just say it, it was the right move. They would have been idiots like I have said here many a time, to have dealt him in the middle of the season. You give your trade partner wins with Deshaun as their quarterback, which takes away from the value of the draft picks that they give you in return at the end of this year, and you don't get to induce a bidding war among as many teams as possible like you will in nine weeks. They did something right for a change. Yeah, and and just obviously, Robert, with this so much uncertainty with everything swirling around Deshaun, I mean, I, I think it, it really is the best thing to do. And, of course, you know, the Dolphins had a lot to do with that. You know, their owner basically nixed the deal because there were just too many contingencies. And who can blame him? But, it, you know, at the same time, I was kind of hoping that if the Dolphins were willing to give the Texans what they were asking for, make the deal, get it out of our plate so that we don't have to talk about it anymore. But, you know, it, once you take a look at everything, it, it's probably just as well that now we can sit back, let's see what happens. You know, the draft isn't until April. Surely this thing is going to end by then with Deshaun. You, you hope so, you know, for everybody's sake. So we just hoping that by draft day, the Texans can make a deal that is good for them. That's all. That's what we're hoping for now. But at this point, Robert, there's really nothing to talk about. Did you say people are talking about Deshaun and the Texans or talking about the Texans at all? Because I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think no, so. They, well, the media certainly does. They keep bringing it up. But everybody else is it's just kind of like whatever. Well, they got nothing. If you're covering the Texans, you got nothing else to do. But I, I think the rest of the media in Houston is not paying attention to the Texans. And I know that because I saw a KPRC reporter who took a photo from the Texans press box at Sunday's game that really told a story. Uh, Vanessa Richardson took a selfie that showed a long row of empty chairs behind her. She said none of the four major networks sent a reporter to the game. And she said it wasn't because they all had the reporters at the World Series. You know, I saw that, Robert. I, I saw that. And I have to tell you, I don't. And now, of course, I haven't lived in Houston in 40 years, so I don't really know. But I cannot remember a time that has ever happened with one of the, the four, you know, the three major sports uh, pro teams where you've only got one reporter in the press box, you know, especially your pro football team. As I mean, in 1972, the first year I started following the Oilers, you know, they had those back-to-back one and 13 seasons. Maybe then 
you know, you didn't have near as many media outlets back then either. Maybe then you had one or two reporters covering a, a terrible Houston Oilers team. But man, recently, that's pretty, that's pretty telling. It's also very sad when you think about, you know, obviously, just how poorly the Texans are run that even the media is tired of covering them. Man, that's saying a lot. Nobody was out tailgating from everything that I heard. It was totally dead out there this past week. I mean, it, it's a mess, and I don't know what changes it because it just seems like Cal McNair doesn't care. You know, he has no cares about this, and he's probably got a bunch of yes people around him, but I, I, I don't see what happens. And we've seen somebody like Daniel Snyder just run the Washington football team into the ground and the NFL doesn't seem to mind that he still owns the team and there's not pressure from the other owners for him to sell. And maybe the other owners are just happy. Hey, it's another guy for us to beat. That's easy for us to win games against. And the Texans and the, and the, and the Washington football team, that's the case with, with both of them. And I, I remember Steven a, a couple of years ago, I'd been covering the Texans. I had credentials for, for our podcast, for Houston Sports Talk, for five years. So if you haven't been listening in the last several years, if you just started listening in the last two or three years, I had season credentials for, for the Texans, and it was through Houston Sports Talk. And they told me that, you know, this was the, the quote that I got from the communications department. Well, there's just not enough space. And, and at, the, at that time, at that time, there was empty seats on game day all over the place. And that was when they were not bad. You know, they were getting to the playoffs right. at times with, with Bill O'Brien, of course. But it, it just cracked me up to see like, oh, yeah, you think there's uh, no space up there in the press box? Well, the way you're running things, that's what you get. Yeah, well, I, obviously, you know, from that reporter's photo, Robert, they sure can't say that now. You know, if, if you want to go watch a Texans game, I know you do. Then there's plenty of space in the press box. Go on up there and, you know, I bet they won't even they won't even try to stop you if you just walk in without a press badge. Plenty of space in the stands, too. And <laughs> yeah. So Deshaun doesn't get sent packing, but Charles Amenahu gets sent packing to the 49ers for a sixth-round pick. Amenahu looked like a rare draft pick the Texans got right in the last few years. Fifth-round pick out of UT. He was tied for the team lead in quarterback hits last season. And this year, he leads the Texans in pressure rate, 13.8%. And Stephen, I... Don't know what to say. It just seems like that was one of the few guys on the team that it was a your guy you were developing. I, I know there must have been something behind the scenes going on because he was a healthy scratch a couple of times. But, I mean, you know, at some point, you got to keep some guys that you have that, you know, you've actually developed and that are cheap contracts because he was still cheap. Yeah, he was still cheap. You know, this wasn't an O'Brien huge contract kind of deal. He was actually cheap and he showed some flashes. I mean, there there were times, and of course he had some injury issues last year. There were times that he did show inconsistency. And I think, you know, I remember when the Texans drafted him. And, and, and of course, I watched him play because I'm here in Austin. So I did get to watch him play with the Longhorns. And he was certainly great at UT. But he did have some spells, Robert, where I think he could be a little more consistent. And I don't know if it was the work ethic that got, you know, into the coach's craw, especially this year. But I have to say I was disappointed because he was, you know, one of the players that I kept rooting for, you know, to really have a breakout season. In fact, I really thought he would this year. I, I felt like this was going to be Charles Amenehu's year. It was certainly he had the opportunity. He would have been put in that position, but it just didn't happen. You know, and obviously, if, if you're going to rebuild, I guess, in, in the Texans view, 
Might as well just tear this whole darn thing down and start over. And nobody, and I mean, nobody is exempt. Next year is his last year on his contract. So you flip that for a six round pick. So if the six round pick is any good, which I haven't seen this six or seventh round pick or if many picks at all be worth a darn for the Texans in years. Yeah. You get a cheaper option for the next few years and you get to flip that over with. And you know, in, in the next five years, you would have a cheap guy if he's good enough to stay on the roster. That is now Amenahu was the only player the Texans dealt. I sure hope Casario put everybody else on the block, but I'm guessing none of them had trade value except why not, trade Brandon Cooks. Yeah, Brandon Cooks. I, well, you we kept hearing his name that that he might possibly be and I certainly think you could get more than a 6th round pick for him, I would think. At least maybe a mid-round pick. I don't know. Yeah, I thought there would be more moves than there were, Robert. You know, especially the way you know Casario was deal, wheeling and dealing the last few months. My goodness, I figured at the trade deadline, you and I would uh we would we probably have to have a 2-hour podcast just to keep up with it, but yeah, that was it. Uh, Deshaun didn't get, didn't get traded. Amenahu did, and that was it. That was a whimper. That's all we heard out of the Texans today. Yeah, you could have even thrown in somebody like Jordan Akins. I went through a bunch of guys on defense, but maybe Akins would have been somebody. Another draft pick, but you know he was end, nearing the end of his contract, and I don't know if they're super excited about his future as a tight end. And they just drafted Brevin Jordan. I don't know about all these defensive guys that look like you know they they might have had some trade value. But, you know, they were also available for a lot of other teams in the offseason, I'm sure. And nobody was interested in them at the time. I thought maybe with the injuries, some of those guys would be an option for some teams that needed some help at this point, at least for a sixth or seventh round picks, which I said they needed to refurbish because Casario's just had a Walmart shopping sale for, you know, the <laughs> offseason. And, and during early, you know, I think into the training camp, he was just giving those guys away for guys that they're no longer on the roster. But. Well, when, let's face it. When you have a one in seventeen, a uh, seven team, there just aren't that many players that other teams are going to look and go, "Oh my gosh, I got to have that guy for the stretch run." And it's just certainly not on the Texans. It's it's not there. So I guess in a way, now that I think about it, it's not that surprising. But just the way Casario has been doing things, I thought there might at least be a few more today. So the Astros refused to listen to me about you know we need to bench. Alex Bregman, I said a couple of games into the World Series for Aledmus Diaz, they didn't want to listen to me. Didn't work out so well for them. The Texans never want to listen to me. They don't listen to anybody, so that's okay. Exactly. That was exactly what I was going to say. And then I've also been preaching to Steven Silas, and and he finally decided to listen to me. He started Alperin Shangoon against the Lakers Tuesday night. It's about time because... Guess what? They looked really good in the first half, and they look good coming out of the gate. And the real frustrating thing to me, Stephen, isn't that the fact they're getting blown out this year in a lot of games. You know, I get it. They're a young team. They're thrown together. Uh, they're trying to gain chemistry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just the fact that they're getting blown out in the first quarter. The games are over after the first quarter. They start off the game down 10 in the first six minutes. And so they finally changed something, which is something that I said should have happened in the preseason, put Shane Goon in the starting lineup. Yeah, that's something I think we've all been waiting to see now. How long is it going to last? Well, you know what? If he keeps playing better than some of these other guys, you know, I, I understand Eric Gordon was was out for that game. I think he had some stomach issues or something. So that may have opened the door. But, you know, this is the kind of year, Robert, where I think as the season goes along, you're going to see more of these young guys get in and get more playing time. 
And I think it's great. I mean, if you're rebuilding, then you've got to have the blocks to build with. So might as well put them in there and just see what they can do. But Shin Goon, we've, we've talked about him for the last several weeks that he needs to be in there more. You know, we, we may see more of KJ Martin. So that's the one thing that, you know, I don't know if excited is the right word that, you know, for me, because they're just going to be more losses than, than wins, certainly. But you got to find hope somewhere. And Shin Goon is, I just think we both believe that he may be one of the future hopes of the Rockets as they continue to rebuild. And I made the point over and over again that if you're going to say to John Wall, we're not going to play you because we want to play and develop a young guy like Kevin Porter, then do that with all of these veterans. You 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 can play, you can sprinkle in the veterans and give them some minutes at times. And, and definitely Eric Gordon deserves to play because he's the best player on the team probably when he's healthy. At the moment, he is anyway. But prior to the Lakers game Tuesday night, they were 28th in offensive efficiency. Steven Silas finally decided to change up some things. Not only was it Shangoon, but no Daniel Tice in the rotation at all. Thank goodness. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just that he <laughs> took him out of the starting lineup. Uh, I watched the first half until we're doing the show right now, and he didn't even play Tice. Uh, Silas brought KJ Martin, like you mentioned him, KJ Martin and Armani Brooks off the bench early in that game, very early. And part of that was, like you said, Gordon not being available with nausea, but KJ Martin absolutely deserves to be in this rotation with the way he's played. He should be the option over Nawaba, who's a nice veteran, but again, like John Wall, he's not the future of the franchise. What's so impressive about KJ, Stephen, going back to last year, what I've really noticed is how quickly he adjusts his game, gets better, and how quickly, you know, he's made progress where I see a lot of other Rockets young players not making progress in their game and their skill set. But KJ Martin definitely has made progress, specifically in that outside shot, which is really impressive what he's done in just a year. And he's still so young. Yeah, that's the one thing I've been most impressive with him is his outside shot. Of course, he hasn't had as many opportunities to show it. But I really thought that they might get give him a look earlier than they have. It doesn't surprise me a whole lot about Shingun that they've waited so long. But with K.J. Martin, you know, I, I definitely want to see more of him. And I think, Robert, as time goes along, a lot of this will work itself out because Gordon's not going to stay healthy for the rest of the season. You just you feel like something is going to come along. You know, Daniel House has been a disappointment. He's out again. It, it just seems like over and over we keep talking about that. So I think as time goes on, it, it's going to be forced into it by design that some of these younger guys are going to get more playing time. And that's probably a good thing. Yeah, it's like Silas has to see an injury and a guy go down before he finally does something. Although the Shangoon thing was a big thing. That, that happened uh, just a few games into the season. It was a few games longer than I would have liked. And Shangoon still has to get the foul situation under control because he gets in foul trouble and he gets a lot of fouls early. He's got to get better at that, but that's what's going to happen with the young big guy. And he plays defense, you know, to the point where he's averaging uh, as of before this Lakers game started, he was averaging two and a half steals a game for a rookie. That is a big guy. You just do not see that. So, yeah, yeah you, that's you, very interesting. You've got to love what he's doing. And that's, by the way, two and a half steals a game per 36. It was about four and a half when I looked it up on basketball reference, four and a half per 36. So, yeah, it's incredible what he's doing defensively. And it's not just the steals. 
you know, and, and, and if he stays out of the foul problems, I think it would have been be more discussed and he was getting more minutes to be more discussed around the rest of the NBA. It hasn't quite yet got there, that ripple effect of like what he's doing defensively, but uh, you know, that that's something to watch. What we we're going to also have to watch Steven is, you know, this off season with the Astros, there's stuff that's going to go on. I don't want to get into where they should go from here and there. We're going to talk about that in future podcasts, but we're going to have some, some Astros. I'm going to try to get, get us some Astros guests and, and get a little bit into where do they go from here? Well, you know, and Robert, this is always a, a tough time for me because, as you know, baseball has always been my favorite sport. And now that the World Series is over, there's no more baseball. And, of course, that means, you know, the Astros lost the World Series, so it makes it even more depressing. But, you know, as time goes on and we move forward, it, it's kind of a, a thing that, you know, you kind of anticipate, okay, what is going to happen next year? You know, who are they going to sign? Who are they going to trade for? Who in their farm system is going to step up, maybe be a surprise that maybe you didn't count on? So those are the storylines, you know, that we're going to have to follow in the next few months. And, of course, there's also the disturbing or, you know, undercurrent there that the collective bargaining agreement is going to run out in December. So there is a possibility of a lockout. So that could makes the offseason somewhat interesting, but maybe very interesting and not necessarily in a good way. So there are always storylines to follow, even during the offseason. It's just depressing right now, because you and I are recording this the night the Astros lost Game 6 of the World Series. I was going to say, it's a, it's a shorter offseason, because the Astros typically make it a shorter offseason. But you just made the point where if we have a lockout, it could be a longer offseason than we, we might anticipate, too. <laughs> yeah, and, and don't forget, that could also affect free agency. So, you know... We'll get into more of that later, but uh, yeah, just keep an eye out for that because that is a storyline that we're going to have to watch as the collective bargaining agreement, the the deadline to that runs into December. Baseball is over, but the NFL continues, college football continues, and that means you can make some money off our friends at BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. If you forget the promo code to save you some money, HST125, it's in the show description. And you want to go to our website to help us out a little bit and click on the BetUS icon once you sign up with BetUS. But, well, until next uh, until next time, uh, get those tears out and uh, wait till next year for the Astros. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.